0: You're listening to SBS News. When we are alive, our children need to go back to country. And if we don't have a place, where where are we going? Where, where, where do my old, old people rest their souls? Once you have that
1: love in embedded in you you become a custodian you become connected to place
2: everyone at some point or another will lose someone or something they love and yet grief is still seen as a taboo particularly in dominant western cultures so how do different cultures hold space for grief and are some better equipped than others And how can we think about grief beyond the concept of death, looking at other profoundly life-changing forms of loss? I'm Katrina Stirrett and this is the fifth episode of Living Loss. In this episode, we explore the concept of ecological grief, the feelings of loss, despair and anger that coincide with environmental loss and damages and which can lead to a range of complex responses. This feeling might be one the Western world is only coming to grips with in recent decades, but for First Nations peoples, these feelings of loss have culminated in centuries of grief. Dr Virginia Marshall is a proud Wiradjuri Nyemba woman and a research fellow with the School of Regulation and Global Governance at the Australian National University. She's been active in the Indigenous Australian native title and water and human rights space for years. For Dr Marshall, the terms environment or ecology fail to capture the deep relationship Indigenous Australians have with country.
3: Those words of ecological grief It's far greater. Um, The word ecology doesn't even begin to understand the relationship for Indigenous peoples of Australia. So that's a very important um, way to understand that the identity of every Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander person is melded with um, that uh, understanding of place, but it's um, those flowers and the trees and uh, the fungi and everything uh, that connects to your kinship. Um, has such an incredible, strong relationship of self. to me is much deeper than when we would say ecological grief. It, it is grief, it, it's trauma.
2: Dr. Marshall explains how loss of country is therefore a far deeper grief, one that is intrinsically linked to identity for First Nations
3: peoples. As indigenous peoples of the oldest living, cultural, Uh, Indigenous group in the planet, um, this is even more intense for us uh, because we've had these tens of thousands of years uh, of relationship with our environment, with uh, every living thing, and that means what people might think as inanimate objects, everything has animus, everything uh, that we understand, in other words, we don't have a word for nature in Wiradjuri. We always hear this word nature today as if nature formed itself, as if nature is something separate to Indigenous people of Australia, and it's not.
2: Griefline Line councillor Abbey Catchlove acknowledges that while ecological grief might be a fairly new term in the therapeutic sense, Indigenous peoples have been experiencing a multifaceted form of loss for hundreds of years. Dr. Chris Kavalkian is certainly one of the global pioneers of the concept, coining the term environmental grief in her 2004 PhD, Environmental Grief, Hope and Healing. She defined it as the grief reaction stemming from the environmental loss of ecosystems caused by natural or man-made events. Abby Kachlov explains how the term is applied in a therapeutic sense today.
4: I'm very wary of of talking about it as if it's a new thing when it's not and that there's lots of complexity and lots of nuance to it. But I guess a definition that, that can be used for ecological grief is um, the grief felt in relation to experienced or anticipated ecological losses. Um, and so this includes the loss of species or ecosystems and, and meaningful landscapes due to acute or chronic environmental change.
2: The grief is often compounded by a lack of language or understanding around the loss. Ms Catchlove explains how ecological grief is a form of disenfranchised grief, something we explored in our last episode. This is because the loss isn't often publicly or openly acknowledged, particularly when it comes to climate change policy and narratives. I guess if if we're not talking about ecological grief, but we're feeling it, but it's
4: not kind of in the public sphere or it's not in our knowledge um, of these patterns kind of emerging, we can kind of not feel like we're allowed to feel grief. You know, it might be confusing as to why we've got such big emotions over it, but it's valid. You know, all of these losses are, are very valid and it speaks to that disenfranchisement of, yeah, almost not feeling allowed to feel it or um,
2: or have the permission to feel it. This disenfranchised grief speaks to the feelings of neglect experienced by First Nations peoples when they are disconnected from country as a result of climate change and other environmental impacts. Ricky Dank is a Gadunji Wakaya woman from Karanjini and Barkley Tablelands in the Northern Territory's town of Burilula. She describes the deep sense of loss from witnessing fracking, a technique for recovering gas and oil from rock, on her Boorooloola country.
0: We can't survive without water. So it's it feels like it's almost like they're killing us and they they know they are doing it, but they don't care because they are they don't care that our families are having to drink that poison water because we've got access to no other water. So to know that there are other human beings not sad not upset at the fact that there are people and in our non-human kin that we are going to have to drink that water to you know survive in the immediate future that brings a whole another level of of sadness as well
2: for first nations australians like ricky country is more than a piece of land or environment it's home and identity ricky is emotional describing the fear that grips her community unsure about the future of their home. I think for
0: me, the other reason too why we're fighting so hard is because our old people need a place to go back to. Our children need a place to go back to. So when we die, we go back to that country. When we are alive, our children need to go back to country. And if we don't have a place, where, where are we going? Where, where, where do my old, old people rest their souls? We won't have a place. Where do my my grandchildren grow up? We don't have a place. We are refugees in our own country, not of our making, but by the making of greed, by by people wanting to make money.
2: This speaks to an anxiety which Ms Catchlove says is often referred to as anticipatory grief. She explains how this feeling is prevalent among those supporting others with a terminal illness or dementia where the grieving process is premature due to an awareness of a future loss. Anticipatory grief, um, that's the sense that the changes
4: are continuing and I guess the likelihood of experiencing worsening of what we're already seeing. This can also be about the sadness of watching others around the world suffer environmental related trauma and either knowing what the pain of that is like or Um, having the empathy to kind of understand what that loss would be. And this is a slow and cumulative grief without end. So unlike a human death, for example, there's not necessarily one moment that you can pinpoint, but it's a long and enduring grief and anxiety that's underneath.
2: But these feelings of despair and anger are also often channeled into action or climate activism. Ms Catchlove says ecological grief is such a universal and collective sadness which can be harnessed in community responses. I know for me personally, if
4: if I'm feeling despair, an antidote for that or a positive way to harness that anger is action um, in in dynamic or creative ways. So getting involved in in really climate positive events like tree planting or community gardens or environmental activism and I don't I don't say that to outline that you know we have to be doing things um, rather than actually sitting and being with um, the grief. It's certainly not about being in denial or avoiding the stickiness of ecological grief and just doing something to get over it. But I think by being proactive or connecting with people who are experiencing similar things, this is a really beautiful way to find solidarity.
2: For conservationist and veterinarian Motria von Schreiber, environmental action has been a response to feelings of ecological grief for decades. But these days,
1: her action resembles
2: a different form than traditional activism.
1: In the 20s, I felt I could change the world. So I marched and shook my fist and wrote letters and felt that we were actually making a difference in many ways. And in some ways, we did. In recent years where I live, there's been a lot of activism against the fossil fuel industry and logging and those are all incredibly critical issues but i've chosen to work more strategically in changing awareness in one-on-one conversations actually waking people up in in circles that i move through and trying to get dialogue going that this this is your problem as well as everyone else's problem And, and it's not going away
2: Motria was subject to the Black Saturday bushfires in the Bega Valley in the 2019-2020 summer, where she continues to run a vet clinic with her husband. Her and her husband were evacuated but set up feeding and water stations for animals alongside other volunteers. The image of black smoke
1: and animal carcasses still haunts Motria. And the first time I went out there was like being on, on the site of an atomic bomb blast just the silence was overwhelming the blackness just not no life not even in the soil and there were carcasses everywhere facing the creeks um, trying to run for their lives towards water and, and not making it so in some kind of macabre way I ritually gathered some of the bones I don't know what I was thinking but I felt like there had to be some acknowledgement that there was life here and, and met a very desperate death. The term
2: solstalgia, coined by Doctor of Philosophy Glenn Ulbricht, is ideal for describing Motria's experience.
5: Solstalgia is the lived experience of negative environmental change. I often summarise it as the lived experience of this uh, negative changes to your loved home environment. And it's a form of homesickness or melancholia. And I often describe that as. Uh, it's the homesickness or melancholia you have when you're at home but your home environment is leaving you. So mm-hmm. it's the opposite of traditionally defined nostalgia, which was a feeling of homesickness when you are absent from home and wish to return.
2: The term has been reflected in art, essays and articles to describe the distress and grief people feel when they witness their home environment slipping away from them. Dr Ulbrecht says solstalgia sits on a spectrum of experiences and emotions, which he describes as the psychoterratic typology, where psycho refers to the mind and terratic meaning of the earth. As our climate crisis worsens and Australia potentially confronts another bushfire season, Dr Ulbrecht says unfortunately the term is becoming increasingly relevant. It's
5: also worth noting that the algae in solastalgia is not just re- referring to pain and particularly uh, medically defined pain. Alger also means uh, sorrow. It also can be uh, uh, translated as a form of grief. So using the word Alger, uh, as a philosopher, I implied a, a range of strong feelings and emotions that people feel when uh, a loved home environment uh, a place that's tied to a person's identity and sense of self begins to fall apart or is visibly being torn apart by forces beyond their control.
2: But to know pain is also to know love for place as Dr Albrecht describes.
5: When you define the negative end of the psychotiratic spectrum you're also comparing and contrasting it to an opposite uh, positive emotion. Like, uh, for example, topophilia, the concept developed by the, the geographer Tuan, uh in the 1970s. So topophilia means love of place, topos means place, philia means love of. So if solostalgia is possible, you can only experience if you, if you also have topophilia for the place where you live.
2: This speaks to Motria's ritual gathering of bones alongside her volunteering efforts during the bushfires.
1: The fact that we were delivering small pockets of suitable fruit and vegetables and hoping someone would come and eat that, and water stations and um, grain, um, eventually we began to notice footprints and the first ant was exciting, and then the lizards, and then one echidna, and then the sound of a parrot, and bit by bit, nature began to rebalance itself. So being in, um, in a ritual of service to this one place and being able to observe not just the horror but the glimmers of regeneration kept us strong. Motria's ecological
2: grief unfortunately extends beyond Australia her Ukrainian background has meant Motria has mourned the devastating effects of the war in Ukraine both the tragic loss of people and the natural environment
1: this war erupted and it was as if all the grief of my ancestors arrived back in within me it was a, a completely um, earthquake like experience again turning to activism and well how can i be of service to the refugees that were flowing into Australia, to the pe- my family, to the people that are still there, attending to all the injuries and grief that's pouring from all directions in Ukraine. Um, and there was very little coverage on ecological disasters that were taking place. So when I started to see footage of dead marine life washed ashore from the Black Sea and nest sites decimated, entire forests razed and bombed to oblivion, that's very hard to witness, but that's actually true of all wars. It's like carrying a huge backpack of sorrow and just finding the strengths of my lineage to keep carrying it. For Ricky, her anger and rage is a fuel for
2: activism. She attended COP26 in November 2021 and was furious upon witnessing representatives of Australian oil and gas exploration company Santos, which have undertaken drilling and exploration projects in the Northern Territory. Ricky's anger about the presence of the gas company at the Global Environment Summit drove her to fight against them, employing legal and financial avenues that she says would hurt the company most. I guess it just,
0: yeah, grief is funny when it turns into rage because it turns into fuel for me and it absolutely drives me to the point where I think, right, I'm going to get you and I'm going to get you the best way that I know how and I'm going to work so hard that I'm going to make sure that... We can find a team of lawyers to to sue you and take all your money because that's what's important to you. People's lives aren't important to you. It's money that's what's important to you.
2: This drive is only one example of how Ricky responds to her anger and grief around environmental destruction. She's also passionate about connecting others with country through her family-run organisation, Gudanji for Country, describing a recent experience of immersing people from different climate organisations in country.
0: We needed them to see how we interacted with country and how country interacts with us as well as our non-human kin and that it was important for them to understand or start to learn to understand the relationship that we have with country. You know, we need um, our country to survive and to be healthy. And then our country needs us. And I thought if we did this, if we taught people this, that they themselves would develop and, and build a relationship with country. And then, you know, when you've got more people loving country, learning about country, they're willing to fight for it as well,
2: like we are. As a conservationist who promotes the healing power of nature, Motria also finds this immersion to be a tool for navigating environmental grief. Since her teens, she has facilitated outdoor adventure camps, wilderness experiences and bush kinders,
1: as well as rewilding and connection work. Once you have that love embedded in you, you become a custodian, you become connected to place. So, yeah, I often... um, encourage people to find that spot to make a commitment to it and see what happens you don't have to do anything you just have to breathe and still yourself and enjoy you can you can develop that relationship in a park or um, from an office looking out at a, a bird behavior and flock behavior or the way cloud formations and water is transported in the sky everything involved in wild nature is of incredible value to us
2: in our next episode, we will explore the aspects of an individual's culture that might be more challenging to navigate following a loss and the ways culture intersects with personal ways of grieving. Katrina Stirrett, SBS News.